1: everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music as we kick off a rather a rather brisk <laughs> brand new week here rhino who's turned the air conditioner on what happened there
3: Oh, sure. this is one of those wonderfully weird days where it was as warm as it's going to be at about midnight. Gee, whiff. Temperature's just going to keep
1: slowly creeping down all day long. Well, I played golf in shorts yesterday. You got your shorts on today. Oh, yeah.
3: but It doesn't have a, a two or a three in front of the temp, so I'm good in shorts. Because <laughs> I'm not having to work outside. I, I come from the parking lot to a nice warm building. That's true. Plus, and I half expected them to have the heat cranked up, because usually on one of the f- on one of the first cold days, it's never the first cold day, first cold day, you're always going to have the air on. <laughs> but one of the first cold days, they're going to crank the heat way up, and I'd be in here sweltering. So I'd, I planned ahead in more shorts. Thankfully, it's nice and comfortable in here.
1: Well, in fairness, we should let the audience know that you are surrounded uh, by an assortment of electronic gear which emit uh, lots of heat.
3: Yeah, it doesn't seem like much, but it's kind of like the candle in the
1: igloo. It's just enough to raise the temperature. <laughs> so much going on. Check the markets. The Dow up 351, and that's just because uh, investors believe it's a bit oversold, our markets. Apple up seventy-eight, Microsoft up 3 in and change, Alphabet up, Microsoft up 634 Uh, now, so it's up even more than a thought. Uh, Well, good news on the markets. It's perplexing to me that we have this geopolitical strife, which typically causes a sell-off, and we got the Fed, who's predicting that they may have to continue to tighten up on the interest rate hike scenario, trying to rid the nation of that pesky inflation But I wonder if it's because Israel has essentially gone to another phase in the war, escalating its presence, its ground presence, in Gaza. If markets don't think, well, ultimately Israel is going to prevail, and that's good for the earth, and good thus for the economy, because the treasury yield is up. Five-and-a-half basis points, it's sitting at 4.896 right now. Normally, that produces a sell-off, at least in the NASDAQ, but that's not the case today. So we'll take it. We had um, some some days in the red last week, so this is just a little bit of a bounce, I guess you could say. We'll I was about to ask it. if they made it back up to where they were before the big sell-off. No. Uh, We're not. In fact, on Friday, we got dangerously close on the NASDAQ to correction territory. That's just any time the market falls to 10 percent. And it could be in the other direction as well from its most recent high. And we got really, really close to that as investors started selling. Political news coming up as well. Uh, A whole bunch of that right here in the state of Mississippi. We're going to the polls a week from tomorrow. That'll wrap it up here in Mississippi from a general election perspective. We'll go vote for everybody that represents us, from governor through the various district offices, public service commissioner, transportation commissioner, and, of course, all the other statewide offices on the ballot, attorney general, secretary of state, Insurance commissioner, auditor, who am I leaving out there? Treasurer.
3: I'm sure there's a dog catcher on some ballot somewhere.
1: (laughs) I think I got him. Lieutenant governor, of course. Governor. All those in between. And then all those who represent us in the legislature. Not a great deal of highly contentious races for legislative seats. It doesn't really feel like that too greatly. S- to some extent, in the primary, I think that's where most of the focus was on on those seats. But um, um, not not really a high-profile race is going on there. Uh, clearly, the marquee race, that for governor of the state of Mississippi. And the candidates are tossing barbs around, as they were at Mississippi Economic Council's Hobnob event last Thursday. Both of the candidates, well, many of the candidates spoke. Oh, I left out Agriculture Commissioner. I apologize for that. That, too, was statewide race. Incumbent Commissioner Andy Gibson, of course. He's got some Democrat opponents as well. But uh, they traded barbs, did the candidates for governor last week. That would be Brandon Presley. It's a crisis. You got that down pretty good, don't it's you? It's a crisis. <laughs> I got to tell you, you know, when I write, which I'm doing right now on a couple of articles, I kind of am going back and forth on them. One of those you guys know is PERS, and I apologize for not finishing. It's just been a whirlwind the last couple of weeks. My, my schedule has just haven't been able to sit down and just focus on writing. But I like to watch videos on YouTube. You know, I'm, No secret, I'm a big fan of the 80s rock genre, and I like to watch those. i got one screen going on with that, and the other screen is where I'm writing. And, of course, on YouTube, you're going to get the ads. Virtually every one of them are ads for the governor. You're shaking your head. You're seeing that, too, when you're out there. Oh, yeah, and it's like
3: for every four Brandon Presley ads, you get one Tate ad. That's what
1: I'm uh, observing. And it's always, you know, with his his elbow propped up on the back of a tailgate of a truck. <laughs> it's a crisis. So, um, and look, we're just—I'm not—we're not being personally insulting. We're we're just having fun imitating. We would do that for any of them. Well,
3: it brings a up a point that I talk about just about every election. It seems is at what point do the does the flooding of ads. Turn against you. At what point do people just get sick, of, sick and tired of seeing your face, and they want you to go away? Yeah, that's especially on a platform like YouTube. Yeah, that's right. Like on on cable or over the air TV, it's it's part of the game. It's been a part of the game for as long as you've been alive. More than likely that there are commercials in your programming. Whereas YouTube, people tend to go to. Not for background noise. They go to it for a specific thing they want to see. And every ad is keeping you from seeing what you went there to see.
1: Absolutely true. And, uh, of course, unless you subscribe to the the pay version of YouTube, you're going to be subjected to the ads. Now, you can skip them after it gets to a certain point. Sometimes, right? Yeah. Usually, but, skip too
3: many of them. They're going to stick a big one-minute ad. <laughs> no skip button. That's right.
1: But I shan't complain. It's free. It's free. And I know you're not complaining, but no. either. But we we recognize. I'm just that. pointing
3: out the human psychology of it. I, agree. I see the same face telling me it's a crisis <laughs> every five minutes. Eventually, I'm going to get tired of hearing it's a crisis. <laughs>
1: Well, one thing I have noticed is uh, I do subscribe to the Mississippi Democrat Party's email communication, as well as uh, the candidates, the other candidates, including Brandon Presley. It appears to me in the last couple of weeks, the focus from the Democrats, from Mr. Presley, has been on... Hospitals and the situation in the state of Mississippi. That's what he's referring to when he says it's a crisis. And and that all boils down to Medicaid expansion. The latest communication from the Democrat Party. See, I believed I received, yeah, today, this morning, October 30th, because tomorrow is Halloween. And uh, the Democrats have been conducting a, quote, Save Our Hospital tour assuming that medicaid expansion which is really the only thing i've heard from them with respect to the quandary of the healthcare industry in the state they've been conducting these tours all over the place and and again that's just all focused on on medicaid expansion it's incredible to me that it's all they have to offer State Reeves' refusal to expand Medicaid has left nearly half, 34 of the state's 74 hospitals to be at risk of closing, with 25 of those being at risk of immediate closure. In contrast, on day one, Brandon Presley will expand Medicaid and provide health care for more than 220,000 working Mississippians. We'll analyze that statement because it's, let's just say, less than wholly accurate. When we come back, we're in the Element Well Studio. We got State Senator Daniel Sparks at 11:05 today.
0: Now back to midday's with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Back in the Element Well studio. It's middays. So, before we went to break, we were just talking about this latest communication from the Mississippi Democratic Party. And it uh, concerns just yet another press release about Medicaid expansion. It's just unbelievable that that's become, in my view, the key marquee issue in this race for governor. And, and over and over again, it's the same refrain. You've seen it, Rhino. Brandon Presley will expand Medicaid day one, except there's just one little bitty problem with that. He can't do it unilaterally. He, as governor, would not have the power independently just to issue some sort of order and direct the Division of Medicaid, you will, in fact, now add this coverage group, which is what Medicaid expansion does, that being able-bodied adults. Current Medicaid, base Medicaid, traditional Medicaid, which was established back in 1965, did not include the coverage group of able-bodied adults. It was children, it was the elderly with, uh, that met certain income eligibility requirements. It's blind, it's disabled, and it's pregnant women. Expansion, which was part of the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, passed in 2010, made the coverage group of able-bodied adults available in 2013-2014, as the law was being implemented, and based on the Supreme Court ruling, which held up the mandate to have health insurance, that ruling also struck down the provision that said for a state to remain in base Medicaid, traditional Medicaid, it must expand Medicaid as per this new coverage group provided for in the Affordable Care Act. That's why every state didn't do it. It's based on a Supreme Court ruling. And 40 states have, 10 have not. Mississippi is one of those which has not. But Brandon Presley, or no governor, has the power, with the stroke of a pen, to do this. This is not just changing Uh, some of the rules and regulations around the base program, this is not only adding a whole new coverage group, it requires additional state funding because it is a federal-state match program. Expansion, uh, the, the new coverage group of expansion, in accordance with the federal Affordable Care Act, would, in fact, be funded 90% by the federal government, but it still requires 10% on the part of the state. That's estimated to be 100 to $150 million a year. So no governor can just appropriate money like that. But he fails to point that out. Now, when asked that question, in an interview I caught on another, from another media source, what Mr. Presley said was, I think there is support in the legislature, even among a sufficient number of Republicans, to enact Medicaid expansion. But he fails to point that out. At a minimum, I would say it's unlikely that would occur without a lot of deliberation and negotiation, even if the votes are there, as he indicates. Second thing is... It's a little disingenuous to say provide health care for more than 220,000 working Mississippians and that's because and there's a clear distinction here. Expansion would cover would cover able-bodied adults whose income their household income is less than 138% of the federal poverty level for an individual that's about 20,000 bucks a year. But one does not have to work to qualify. That's, that's not accurate. I have said for some time that I think a preferred alternative is for those who do not have coverage, um, that are able-bodied adults, which is what this coverage group would apply to, should seek private coverage in the marketplaces, the ACA marketplaces, and here's why. Because when the the American Rescue Plan was passed, that's a Joe Biden law, passed under his watch in March of 21, shortly after he assumed the office of the presidency, it included a, a fairly a significant change to the subsidy model and the structure of the marketplaces, which essentially shifted all the percentages that are applied against household income to determine the cost of a premium. It shifted those up such that a household whose income is less than 150% of the federal poverty level would qualify for premium, uh, zero-cost premium coverage. Zero cost. Zero. They would have the responsibility of -of out-of-pocket, such as deductibles and co-pays and co-insurance, but that's limited to $3,000 a year. Why don't we encourage people in the state to sign up for that? That would cost the state zero. It would not expand Medicaid, and it would put a little skin in the game for them. That's available right now. Now, it is true that it expires at the end of 2025. That's how they passed it under reconciliation rules in the the U.S. Senate to make the numbers work. Remember, everything's done on a 10-year basis. So they implemented that for four years, except if I'm a betting man, I'm saying it's going to get expanded. They, They never claw those things back. But at a minimum, you got two or three years to go ahead and get on board, and if it went back to the prior rules, by the way, it'd be two percent of their income. In other words, five hundred bucks a year. Five hundred bucks a year. Um, so why are we encouraging people to do that in lieu of just dump them on Medicaid? First, nobody knows anything about this. You've witnessed it, Rhino. I've said it. Asked members of the legislature here on the program. Why are we doing this? And it's a bit obscure. It was kind of tucked into the Inflation Reduction Act. The focus of that wasn't wasn't to cure inflation. The focus of that was the green cult. That was the big deal with the Inflation Reduction Act. Here are some credits to buy EVs, except nobody's buying them. Here's some credits for solar panels and water heaters and electric panels and electric appliances. And I've talked to electricians. Are you guys doing any of this? What are you talking about? Nobody even knows. That's a problem I have with all these gigantic bills. We pass them. There's lots of fanfare. And then afterwards, it's like nobody even knows anything about it. We never go back and measure any perceived or... Or announced benefit, declared benefit. Look at the benefit, except nobody knows anything about it.
3: That's how the excited guy with the the dollar signs on his suit made a living on those infomercials. It's true. Buy my book. You can buy a boat with the government's money. You can remodel your house with the government's money. (laughs) That is absolutely
1: true. I forgot about that. Because he was the only person
3: that was willing to go through all this nonsense and put it in something that was palatable for the average person. Nobody knows anything about it.
1: Can can anybody out there name one person who's rushed out and equipped their home with solar panels and taken advantage of the up to 33% credit for their purchase? Can you name a person that's gone down to their local hardware store or plumbing supply store that has purchased an electric water heater to take advantage of the credits in the inflation reduction act? How about upgrade their power panel? Who the heck out there says, hey, Mr. Electrician, come upgrade my power panel? Who does that? Nobody. Who's buying electric vehicles because they get these generous tax credits? Nobody. I saw this morning, Ford says, we're losing 40 grand per vehicle manufactured. Consumers are saying, let them things ride on the lot. This was dumb. Now, I'm all for... A future that includes electric vehicles. I'm, I'm for all the above.
3: But an artificially oversaturated market is not how you get the ball rolling.
1: Exactly. Just forcing these manufacturers. So think about you're in the car manufacturing business. You got the unions on one side that are just squeezing the life out of you, and you got the government on the other side. We'll come back with more here in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Put the great Billy Joel on the map. Piano Man.
0: 1972,
1: I believe. 73. Remember it well. And it's uh, really, the lyrics are somewhat of an account of his experience playing piano in a bar. Pretty good lyrics there, isn't it? Making love to his tonic and gin. You gotta love that. That's awesome.
3: We appreciate. I just you. always love the fact that there's a lot of harmonica in a song about a piano man. <laughs>
1: That's true. <laughs> Very talented, Mr. Joel. No doubt about it. Uh, we're back in the Element Well studio. Again, Daniel Sparks, senator who represents Mississippi's District 5, coming up at 11.05. Mike Pence, he's out. Governor Chris Christie, the former governor of the great state of New Jersey, the Garden State, says Mr. Pence made the right decision in dropping out of the 2024 race. He said he just doesn't see a path. I want to say that Mike, you know, ran a tough race, a good race, says Governor Christie. It was very difficult for him. I think he made the right decision for he and his family to get out of the race. And look, I think in the end, it just means this race is narrowing, which everyone said it would. That's what Chris Christie told CNN's State of the Union.
3: Well, the big problem with Mike Pence running is half the time he was answering questions about his campaign, and the other half of the time he was answering questions about Donald Trump.
1: That's true. You know, Donald Trump's come out and implored him to endorse him. Trump said, I made him vice president. We had a good run. He should endorse me. We're not surprised at that, though, honestly. Oh, gosh. Uh, Donald Trump also also said something about uh, being upset, I guess it's fair to say, at uh, being, I guess, ordered again from the judge in D.C., that he's got to keep a lid on it. Another gag order was put at him. He says that puts him at a, quote, disadvantage against my prosecutorial and political opponents. He says, I have just learned that the very biased, capitalized, Trump-hating judge also capitalized in D.C., who should have, in all caps, recused herself due to her blatant and open loathing of your favorite president. <laughs> Me, in all caps. <laughs> oh, gosh. He also, did you catch this, Rhino? He was speaking, I believe, in Nevada. Is that right? I think so. Over the weekend, in He, like, did an imitation of Joe Biden. He was at the podium, and Mr. Trump was, addressing the crowd. And he did an imitation of Joe Biden when he speaks at a podium. And, of course, he steps away from the podium and goes left, goes right, and he's pointing people, trying to figure out which way to go. (laughs) And uh, Mr. Trump, yeah, it was in Nevada, Mr. Trump, Literally acted out that whole scenario imitating Mr. Biden. Uh, it's kind of funny, honestly. Make your own mind up as to whether or not you think that's appropriate presidential. Interesting. On the c Spire text line, by the way, that's 601-879-4395. Only rubes relate to Mr. Presley. Presley is going completely over the top with the thickest southern accent he can muster, desperately screaming, I'm a Mississippi boy. I hadn't heard that. Does he do that, Rhino, in his ads?
3: No, I think they're being metaphorical.
1: Okay, yeah, I think you're right. He does talk about growing up in the small town of Nettleton with one stoplight and growing up poor. And and he makes this point as does the Democratic Party, that because he grew up in a small town, and he grew up poor, that he has a greater understanding of the needs for Mississippians. Now, my view, and you may have a different one, that's fine, I like to see folks who maybe start with little or nothing because of their various circumstances, life circumstances, but then really produce a lot as an adult, because they just sort of shed those and overcome those obstacles. And, and now producing a lot can come in many forms. It just depends on how you would score that and what your view of that is. Uh, but I don't know that that necessarily, in fact, I don't think it does, qualifies you to be more understanding of the needs of people certainly from a government perspective i mean donald trump did not grow up poor he did he, he did leverage and capitalize on the assets that his father built and expanded those assets rose to become the president. And I would argue that his policies benefited the average person way more Did they did the elite and the well-connected and the well-funded and those with some degree of stroke and influence. Now, the left will tell you quite the opposite, that his policies represent the end of democracy. They want people to Prove who they are before they can vote. We can't do that. And he shut down the border. All the horror. And he went around the world letting other nations know America is exceptional and is the leader of the free world. And don't mess with us. I like that about him. He, of course signed off on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which I got into a bit of a social media spar over the weekend, disputing some of this data that's directly from the U.S. Treasury's website. Now, there's not a single link you go to to get this data about just how progressive our tax code is, meaning that it's... uh, really favors lower incomes by a great deal, and it's the high-income earners in this country that shoulder the vast majority of the income tax burden. That's just mathematical fact. You can find that in countless analyses by various tax advocacy organizations, but you can also find it in the U.S. Treasury's Data and reports, it's all there for you. You've got to know what you're looking at and do some digging and piece some data together. It takes some time, and it, it takes some minor understanding of, of tax policy and just what those numbers mean. But the fact is, the top 50% of earners in this country pay 97.3% of the income taxes The government collects the bottom 50% pay 2.7. The top 1% pays more than the bottom 90. 90! But yet that's considered unfair. Footnote doesn't rise to the level of fair share in the Democrats' minds, which is crazy. What is the latest last time you've made fun of Tate? says Romeo and Tupelo. I I don't know what that means exactly. I mean we we're just um, we're just speaking like Mr. Presley, his accent, I find it entertaining. I, I don't know what I'd do with respect to the governor. He's just pretty no nonsense, kind of a policy walk, honestly, which is what I like. So there's nothing Really, that's entertaining or funny about that. And that's that's all there is to it. And Mr. Presley's welcome to make fun of me if he'd like to do so. I don't care. I'm fine. You're gonna be in politics, you gotta have a bit of a thick skin. Do this job, you gotta have a bit of a thick skin. There's a bunch of people tune in every day. So I don't know what that's all about. Somebody's just aggrieved. Don't think it's gonna make a difference one way or another. Got a, a bunch of other Text two, I voted Friday, so you bet I'm sick of the ads, says Lee Sinclair of Mississippi. The best strategy is to wait until three weeks before the election and then just flood the media the whole time, says Mike from Madison, talking about the the flurry of ads we're all seeing. We're coming right back. We'll give you the info on absentee voting. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: We are back
2: in the Element Well Studio.
1: So we're just talking about how the Democratic Party really sees the path to victory for Brandon Presley going through this issue of Medicaid expansion. They see that as a key issue, and and they're really hammering that in their ads, in their communication. I don't have any polls, Rhino. We've seen polls for that, I guess, come from both right and left-leaning services, and the right says the governor's up. Uh, a few points, and the left says that Presley's either equal or maybe a point up here and there.
3: I haven't even seen any from the left that show that he's up, but they show that he's closed close the gap. Yeah,
1: yeah. Sign of Presley's campaign ads is on the c text line. Cher now saying that on his first day in office he will start working to expand Medicaid. Well, I've actually seen him declare, I think, if you not seen this, I will do that on day one. Have you not heard him say that? believe out of his own mouth right and that's the risk
3: of saying something like that especially in your earlier ads if you do change the language of your ad if people have seen that ad 14 million times
1: they've already tuned out when you change the wording I think that's right They're totally right on the ceasefire text line hey Gerard I'm an African American who votes Republican I heard the chairman for Democratic Party here in Mississippi on a radio station say that Presley has spent $2.5 million on the black vote. In your opinion, do you think the black vote would make a different outcome? Yeah, it's a good question. It would, provided they get out and vote. This is all about getting them out to vote. And I think it's it's fairly safe to assume if they take the time to go out and vote, There's been apathy in the past because they just know the numbers don't work in their favor uh, to elect a Democrat. And I, and I think it's pretty clear and safe to say that the vast majority of black folks in the state of Mississippi and really across the country support Democratic candidates. So this is really about getting them to the polls more than anything. I don't know that it's necessarily trying to persuade them to vote Democrat. It's really more about persuading them to vote, assuming they are going to vote Democrat. But appreciate the text. The YouTube premium is worth it. Just don't buy that frappe once a month, and there you go on the ceasefire text line. (laughs) Let's see here. Oh, uh, the absentee rules, right? Now, what's your understanding of that Uh, in-person Noon Saturday, correct? Yeah, the the
3: deadline to vote in-person absentee is this coming Saturday, November the 4th, uh, at the clerk's office. I believe clerks will be open from 8 a.m. until noon on Saturday. Uh, You can also do that at any point leading up to that. The normal business hours, usually 8 to 4, 9 to 5, depending on the clerk's office. You can vote absentee at the clerk's office in person for essentially any and all reasons you can come up with basically if you're not going to be able to go to the poll on election day you can vote absentee
1: in person and you can also request by mail and it has to be postmarked by election day correct so two ways mail in person postmarked by election day now
3: which basically means if you wait until the polls close on Election Day and go drop it in the mailbox at the post office, that's not going to be
1: postmarked by Election Day. Unlikely. Would agree. But those are the rules in the state of Mississippi. There you go. Well, let's see here on the C text line, uh, somebody said something earlier about yeah, uh, Medicaid expansion. Able-bodied people should get a job and pay for their own insurance, not expect taxpayers to buy it for them. A large part of expanding Medicaid just means expanding the welfare roles. That is not helping people in the long run. This is making the system worse. That's Wayne Lenup from Jackson County. Uh, I hear you, Wayne, but uh, I, i just just kind of share some information with you and see what you think, and others as well. So let's say that you qualify, you're an individual, you work, You make $20,000 a year. That's the maximum you can make and qualify for Medicaid, should it be expanded. You're able-bodied. You work. You make $20,000 a year. Average cost of insurance premiums in the private market, about $12,000 a year. Now, that also means you've got deductibles, co-pays, co-insurance. In other words, out-of-pocket costs. Federal law caps those at $9,100 a year. But you could literally, if you had enough of uh, medical services that you needed, you could have, at a minimum, a $21,000 a year bill for health care between your insurance and coverage of out-of-pocket and only make $20,000. you are working. So the question is, how do we, how do we address that? By the way, Medical bankruptcy is still alive and well in this country, and about two-thirds of all bankruptcies in America include massive medical bills. It's it's a lot. And these are even people sometimes that have insurance. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News, and after the break, it's Daniel Sparks, the senator who represents District Five in Mississippi.
0: Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. Hello. 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 You're listening to Midday's with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. It's hour two of middays. We are live in the Element Well Studio. It is a Monday, so that means a Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews will be coming your way at 12.05. But now we welcome to the program uh, Daniel Sparks. He's a senator who represents the Mississippi's District 5, which incorporates Itawamba, Prentice, and Tishamingo counties, uh, serves as the vice chairman of the Senate Corrections Committee. Senator, good to see you again, sir.
2: Good to be here Gerard.
1: All right, so you look like you uh, pulled over on the road up there. You you in uh, your home district today?
2: I am actually headed to Nashville
1: for a conference. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, appreciate you taking the time to join us today. We we've been discussing the election here in the state of Mississippi right around the corner. The general election is upon us November the 7th, one week from tomorrow. Uh, What do you think? We've noted that, uh, of course, the top of the ticket uh, is the marquee race, that between incumbent Republican Governor Tate Reeves and his Democratic uh, challenger Brandon Presley. Both are really filling up the airwaves and all the other forms of media with ad, uh, promoting themselves and honestly attacking (laughs) their opponent. What's your gut feel at this point?
2: Well, I feel like the governor has um, done a good job over the last four years. A lot that he had been handed from the standpoint of uh, COVID out of the gate, obviously, some natural disasters that we didn't anticipate. And, um, you know, there's a lot of that that you didn't run on that platform. But yet, uh, I feel like he did a good job with the hand that he was dealt. We had uh, big issues at the Department of Corrections. Uh, I think we're moving in the right directions there. There are several other state agencies that were in uh, receivership or on the cusp of receivership. So I think, there's, I think there's a lot of good work that's been done. And I think it's the right policy. I think we're on the right path. And I think that's ultimately the question a lot of people need to ask themselves uh, you know, is am I Republican? And if I am, why am I Republican? And it's generally because of the policies of the Republican Party line up with what I believe more than anything else. And just because I may disagree with a particular politician on a particular issue, I need to remember that I'm a Republican.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know if you were around for MEC's Hobnob last week. That, I think, is uh, the last time the candidates actually spoke to a a relatively large gathering of people, and and they, they traded barbs, which is to be expected. Um, and they talked about, the governor likes to talk about his record, which I think is a very good one, a very positive one. I, I would tout that as well. He's had n- a number of accomplishments. As you indicated, he, he had to deal with lots of, of uh, disasters and catastrophes. And then on top of that, COVID, which I don't know if I'd call that a disaster or a catastrophe, but it was something that, that he had to mobilize a lot for and had to deal with. But on the education front, which is, you know, is half of the money we spend, Uh, in the general fund, goes to education, wow, the report card is pretty dang good there. Um, And on uh, economic development, uh, the governor has, while his term in office, he's seen uh, significant investment in the state of Mississippi, had uh, teachers' pay raises, had historic tax reform. Pretty good record. That's what he's touted. And here's where I'm going with this, Senator. The Democrats, on the other hand, seem to be almost entirely exclusively focused on the health care situation in the state of Mississippi. And more specifically, they're touting that simply expanding Medicaid corrects that problem, just cures that. Your thoughts?
2: Well, we believe that good policies lead to good results. And a lot of the things that you're pointing out, it is an increase in teacher pay. It is accountability uh, that was put in place. It was third grade reading gate. It's great teachers being engaged in the classroom. It's trying to target money into the classroom. Uh, as other things, you secure elections. Uh, we've done a lot of things along those lines. So good policies lead to good results which is my concern when we look and say, well, my policies don't match up with a particular candidate, but I think I'm going to vote for them, or I'm just not going to vote for the other guy whose policies I agree with. Uh, That's the odd thing that we're seeing. Um, And I'll I'll answer your health care question. I apologize. No problem. Sometimes we get so caught up in personality. Yeah. And, and that we don't and I heard earlier, of course, you were you were laughing about the uh maybe the way the draw comes out of northeast Mississippi. Well I've got the same draw, so <laughs> Oh, I find so, it entertaining. You know, but, I'm not but, mocking, I just find oh, it entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think it's great. But it's that you know, folksy down home situation. Yeah. But there are a lot of people that I really like that don't agree with their policies. Sure. And so as it relates to the healthcare care issue, one thing that bothers me is that the um, first thing that came out is this was just going to save all the rural hospitals. And it's not going to do that. And even the people who promote Medicaid expansion now acknowledge that it's not going to do it. And then we start talking about a population of people of uh, 220,000. Well, he said 230 at MEC. I actually was there, at Um, And the truth is, it's probably more like three hundred and twenty thousand, three hundred and thirty thousand. And it's a policy that we don't particularly look at as Republicans to say, let's grow the scope of government. Let's grow reliance upon government. And that's the way to economic prosperity and individual freedom. And it's simply not the answer. So from a policy standpoint, I don't want to go down that road. But then from a numbers standpoint, nobody's really laid it out in a manner that I think is uh, trustworthy. And I go back to what you said earlier on your show. The fact that no one has spoken about, including the hospital association, that has spoken about this 150 percent of the poverty level being eligible for a commercial health care plan at full reimbursement. For the last two or three years, and through twenty-five, shows me people are not digging into the details for good policy. Right?
1: Yeah, totally agree. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on all points. There's no doubt about that. I I I think what gets lost in this, this discussion is this. This, as Rhino likes to say, the left saying it's a pan. This is a panacea. Just expand Medicaid. Boom. Problem solved. There's a healthcare economic honestly, crisis occurring across the country, even in states which have expanded Medicaid. So clearly it's just deeper and broader uh, uh, than that. I personally think one of the issues is we keep inventing more care. Everybody wants it, and it costs money. And I, and I get that, because we all want to, to uh, live healthy lives. We'll, we want to live as long as we possibly can. That's just human nature. Uh, and the great thing is is that uh, American innovation is uh, continues to improve um, health care, and we all want to avail ourselves to it. There's nothing wrong with that, but it costs money. How do we pay for it? That's the issue so but they've made this the central issue, Senator in the campaign. Do you think that that uh, may benefit them at the
2: polls? I certainly think they tested it to see if it will benefit them sure um, you know my my concern again, it goes back. I think you called the governor a policy wonk, and I think that is very accurate. He's a numbers guy, and it's a lot easier for me to stand on the street corner and yell, free stuff, I've got free stuff for you, or to say, here's an opportunity for you to earn and take what you want. And, you know, they were uh, giving the governor a hard time, I think, on an answer he gave at MEC about people who were employed, but yet... Uh, could not afford health care, and you're asking a guy that question while he's walking down the hallway, they don't want to spend the five minutes that it takes to give that full answer to say that through Accelerate and our community college system, we're offering training that would lead people to a greater job. We want to see if anybody, you know this, as a business owner, um Anyone who has work ethic, aptitude, effort, you're going to try to grow them within your company. I looked at McDonald's uh, website. I, I have. I used to work at Walmart as a, a student at Northeast. There are insurance opportunities in those companies. If you want to grow in those companies, don't besmirch uh, the fast food industry uh, just because those wages start at a particular level. The policy is of the Republican Party is we want better jobs. For more people, so that they are sufficient, so they can raise their family in the way they see fit, with less government intervention.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally accurate. I I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Just thought it was kind of interesting that they're they've sort of boiled down their focus to that. I hear nothing, and we got to go. But I hear nothing from the Presley camp about growing the economy. I don't hear anything about that. Just how to recut the pie. That's all I hear. <laughs>
2: There, there is no economic plan other than to spend money of people that are wealthier than you.
1: That's not good. I, I don't support that.
2: Appreciate you coming
1: on, Senator. Always good to see you, sir. Thank you.
2: Yes, sir. Thank you.
1: We're coming right back, folks, with more in the Element Wealth Studio.
0: Days with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. Hey. On Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: Only the smooth sounds of the spinners. I'll be around bumping us into this segment. That from the all-hit request line. Appreciate that, Rhino. I just saw a a, um, a screen here in the studio. We've got the Business Channel on. It's a Wall Street Journal article. I'm gonna have to look it up. In the headline of the article, workers doing less for the same pay. It just feels like that, as time goes on, that...
3: Well, was that not the uh, pipe dream of the push-button nuclear age? It was. You're right. That technology would advance to a point where it would
1: allow the average worker more leisure time? This whole idea of work-life balance and, and uh, just everything associated with that narrative bothers me. I'm all for the need for family time, leisure time, head clearing, all the above, but I'm also, put me down as one that says, you got to take care of your business, you got to earn that. It's just not automatic, like day one. No, you got to earn that. you got to make sure that all the outstanding issues that need to be taken care of before you enjoy yourself are taken care of. Then, you can enjoy that time away. Now, clearly, some some matters you can delay. I get it, but I don't know, in my business career just seems like there was always something I got to take care of right now and it can't wait and was still able to achieve uh, that so-called work-life balance. I was there for my family. You can do it. You just got to be smart about it, but you got to take care of your business. You just do. Because if you don't then the, the idea of work-life balance in the future and the availability of that is greatly diminished because you didn't take care of critical, urgent matters when you needed to address them, and that ballooned into a much greater problem, and now you don't have any balance except you're just stuck dealing with this problem. So there's, there's got to be some common sense injected into that. Kevin on the road says we will not have to pick up the tax. He says the people are not going to sign up to pay 2%. That was the first text. That so was in reference to the subsidized coverage that's available in the um, Affordable Care Act marketplaces. And by the way, Kevin, it's 0% now. It's not even 2%. That's the change that was made. The starting level in the uh, subsidy model when it was originally passed in 2010 the first range of income, I can't remember what that was. It was 100% to like 130, something of that effect. It required that the subscriber pay premiums equal to 2% of their income. Now, up to 150% since the uh, American Rescue Plan, those with incomes, 150%. So it increased the the eligibility threshold to hundred and fifty percent and below or down to hundred percent is zero percent. Zero cost premium. Zero. So I I hear you. He says they they pay zero now. Why would they? And that's one of my concerns. If we expanded Medicaid, how do we get people to sign up for it? Because it's not like they send you a check. Medicaid is not welfare in the sense that they just send you a check. Medicaid only really gets applied It only pulls money into the system when one receives medical care under Medicaid, covered by Medicaid. And that payment doesn't go to the patient, it goes to the provider. So it's not like just money out of the sky, like stimulus checks and the like and tax credits. That's different. That goes to the individual. This money goes to the provider who files the claim against Medicaid. And I said, well, it's the same, ch- I, I pointed that out, same challenge with Medicaid expansion, just getting people to sign up. In fact, last I checked, the Division of Medicaid says there are 50,000 people in the, in the state eligible for present Medicaid who aren't signed up because they don't know anything about it. Rhino, you've made the point many times that, why should they? They still get care. And that's what Kevin says when I pointed out, we're, essentially we're picking up the tab for those who don't pay anything, including not being covered by Medicaid, we're picking up the tab with our commercial premiums, which are the highest, relative to Medicare and then Medicaid, and the highest reimbursement. And he said, well, we wouldn't have to pick the tab up if we make them pay for the services they receive. Bunch of exclamation points. Any other business makes you pay for their products and services. I agree with you. Hospitals have to do the same. So the problem with Kevin is something we talked about many times, is uh, a law that was in- enacted under Ronald Reagan. He supported this. So if if you're mad about the fact that hospitals have to provide care, in fact, what the law says, they have to stabilize the patient, stabilize emergency departments. But as Rhino knows, it gets abused. You end up seeing everybody, and you don't want to take risk with them because the next thing you know, you get freaking sued. You you look at a person, you examine a person, you're really not sick, nothing we can do for you here, boom, you're gone. Next thing you know, something happens, you get sued to hell and back, and they own the hospital before it's all over with, because of our litigious society. And so this was something that was passed uh, under Ronald Reagan, EMTALA, Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. That was passed, I believe, in 1986, if I'm not mistaken, 1986. And so you're right, Kevin. If we could just tell people that show up at the hospital, let's say they're having a stroke or a heart attack, and the hospital says, hey, can you pay? Do you have any insurance? Or are you going to pay out of pocket? Can you prove you're you're good for these uh, cost of these services? And if they say no, and the hospital says, I'm sorry, you just got to die. We can't take care of you. That's what we're talking about. Well, that's not realistic. You guys know that's not going to happen. And I don't know any self-respecting health care professional that would just Allow a person to suffer. It's not going to happen. So the question is, okay, how do we cover this? And by the way, I've had a couple of friends who've had open heart surgery over the last year. It's a hundred thousand bucks. You, you've heard about this. I mean, you're shaking your head. It's oh, a yeah. It's a hundred thousand bucks, guys. Now you say, why is it so dang expensive? It's because for every one that pays, there's three that don't, because they don't have any insurance, or they. Hundred thousand bucks would obviously bankrupt them,
3: and it's a constantly improving procedure.
1: That's right. That's the good news. You're not in in uh, the hospital for as long. Uh, the procedures themselves aren't nearly as invasive, and the recovery is not nearly as morbid. That's it's fantastic. It's great. It's amazing what uh, what medical science is, is how it is advanced in a number of fronts, but that one in particular is unbelievable. Honestly, when you think about it. So that's the problem. So, of course, I knew this was going to come from Thomas. Reality shows that Reagan was almost as big a socialist as FDR. <laughs> you, knew, you knew that was coming. Uh, I could predict it. Uh, but it is worth pointing out that um, Tala is a Reagan invention. It just is. So all these people that say they're hardcore... Yes uh, and no. It's It was
3: codifying, vague language that had existed since the, what was the name of the act in the mid-40s, right after World War II, is it Burton Hill, Hill Burton, something like that, Yeah, that provided the funding for community hospitals to be built under the provision that for 20 years, they had to provide a certain portion of free community health care. That's right. And then sometime in the mid-70s, that 20-year time frame got removed, so they had to provide free community health care, but the wording in it was really vague, and it was rarely enforced. And then there was a big push in the mid-80s to codified language stating that community hospitals had to continue providing that free community care
1: that's absolutely true um, and, and
3: uh, I think what I just don't want folks to think this just magically came out of nowhere no you're mid-80s. right
1: I agree and I and I apologize for projecting that that uh, or trying or attempting to convey that um, because that's that's absolutely not the case it, it, the fact is anybody that went to the emergency room even prior to MTALA. They're going to stabilize them. It's just, it's just a fact. They're, nobody was getting kicked out of the ER before 1986 if they couldn't pay. You're right.
3: Unless this, it was a recurring hypochondriac, at which point the hospital would go, no, enough, we're not treating you anymore. Which they Whereas
1: should. Whereas if you can't do that. That's right, which they should. I think the difference is that um, opportunist lawyers figure out a way to rely on imtala. To shake down hospitals and hospitals know it, and that's why they're so, so careful about treating anybody. And you know this as well. If you show up in the hospital and you say you're having chest pains, boom, you're getting in right away. You're going to the top of the triage list. Whether you really are experiencing any kind of serious heart problems or not, you're going-that's what's gonna happen to you. We're coming right back with half an hour left in the Element Well studio.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on, on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: from 1980. That's pretty smooth there. The lyrics are great because they don't mean anything. We're we're going out and having a good time. We don't do music like that anymore. (laughs) Going out and stomping. Let's see here. Herschel on the C Spire text line. It is disturbing that during the 6.15 a.m. to 6.45 a.m. time slot each morning on our local NBC affiliate, while eating breakfast at a local restaurant, I see three or four Presley advertisements. In most days, no advertisement for Governor Reeves. I did see one advertisement this morning for Governor Reeves. I hope the Republican Party nor the conservative voters are taking this election for granted. Thank you for promoting the conservative platform honestly i I really hadn't thought about it um, which of the candidates is running more ads relative to the other I don't know uh and and by the way I' uh, doing the little voice it's just fun we're just having fun this it, people get so bent out of shape about stuff like that oh my gosh just just having fun it's it's a distinctive accent that's just good to kind of play with that's all it's not, not being negative or insulting uh, whatsoever.
3: Heck, the first 20 or so times I saw the ad, I didn't realize it was Brandon Presley talking.
1: <laughs> and just like Senator Sparks pointed out, he's from the same part of the state. And that's what's cool about Mississippi. You can kind of tell the, the region of the state. From whence one hails, based on their, their accents. I've, I've always been fascinated with accents, and especially across the country. And, you know, there are professionals that a person can say a couple of words, and they can tell you exactly, like, where they're from. like oh, de- yeah. Like, down to the neighborhood, almost. But uh, What's th-
3: the comedian's name that plays drums? Is it Fred Armisen? He's an incredible yeah. linguist when it comes
1: to accents. I think that's fascinating. I have fun with that. That's all it is. So... Um I hope folks don't get too bent out of shape about that. have some fun, lighten up. I can tell you in my business. we would have a our big annual all hands meeting, and it was always traditional for the staff to do a little skit and of course, they're always going to come out and have some fun with me. That's back in the days where I sported a mustache. They all had somebody come out with a fake mustache and um imitating me. I just laugh my butt off. It's all fun. no big deal. Good grief. Uh, and they would sometimes capture some of my favorite refrains just perfectly, you know, in the business. And we'd have fun with that. Good grief. That's all this is. Jeez.
3: Moses asked, do they ever complain about Rhino's Bernie impression?
1: <laughs> I'm Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Give me all your money. <laughs> We're just having fun. My gosh. But liberals hate fun. We know that. So it's no surprise that they would say something.
3: Not only do they hate fun, they're seemingly always looking for an excuse to get their panties in a wad.
1: (laughs) I guess if I could have thought about it, I could have imitated the the governor, pardon me, when he starts spouting off all these um, statistics, which are touting his accomplishments. He's really good at that. He can recall all those. He's got them all committed to memory. I like that about him. Just in case you didn't know, I think that's who we need in office like that. He tracks that stuff. He commits it to memory. He promotes it. Good! That's what we need to be doing. Right, if I thought about it, I could have... I saw him speak and uh, share those same statistics Thursday, mainly on education. And Gosh, what a great story he has to tell there. I don't blame him in, in, the, in the amount of investment. I think six and a half billion dollars of capital investment since he's been Uh, the governor. Those are notable positive trends and statistics that should be pointed out. I've not heard a thing from Mr. Presley about his plans for economic development. It's all, how I can give you more, more, more. Here's more. Here's more. Nothing about how in the world are we going to grow our economy. What we should be focused on is lifting people up, increasing household and per capita income. That ought to be the goal. Economic prosperity, Wealth creation, they hate that. They really do. Nope, we just got to split up what we got. You give something to hear in the name of equity, of course. It's disgusting. I want to hear more about how are we going to grow the economy. The governor's laser focused on that, I can assure you. I've talked to him about it many times. That's the key to improving the quality of life in the state of Mississippi and in the country. But you never hear that from the Democrats. It's always just got to start paying their fair share, which means they can send it to me, and I will then dictate where it will be allocated. I'll start doling out that money because I know better how to run the $25 trillion economy than you silly people out there, you buyers and sellers. Yeah, I don't agree with that. Really don't. The um, Speaker of the House, by the way, I did catch him, the new one, Mike Johnson. I caught his interviews yesterday, and something that I'm warning people about, which I did Rhino a couple of weeks ago, he said, we're probably going to have to pass a continuing resolution, exactly what Matt Gates objected so strongly to, and caused him to invoke his privilege to remove the Speaker. He said, yep, probably going to have to pass a continuing resolution while we deliberate these Spending bills, the 12 single-subject spending bills that fund the discretionary aspect of the government. And he said probably through January the 15th. That's the exact date that he used in his interview. And so that will probably cause a lot of angst. He also said that he wants to send money to Israel. And Marjorie Taylor Greene has already said, I'm out. I will not support any funding for Israel, so the speaker is going to find himself once again. I say once again because that's what we've seen. In uh, the Republican-controlled U.S. House is is fractured, and um, you've got some members who are not on board with aid to Israel. Now the speaker said. He's iffy on more aid for Ukraine. He, he would, was not definitive on that. But with respect to Israel, he wants to try to get something done in a couple of weeks. I think $14 billion is the amount they seek. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I'm sure there are others, have said, I'm not going to support that. Uh, now, she has a reason. She said, of course, because we're, we've racked up so much debt. I agree. We have. And we don't ever say no on account of that. Well, no, we don't have the money to actually spend on anything, honestly, because we ran a $2 trillion deficit last year, and we're on track, I believe, you'll see a $2.3 trillion deficit for this fiscal year, which ends at September 30th, 2024. Just kicked off the first month of the... Uh, we're winding up down the first month of the new fiscal year. So that's where we are there with respect to... Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. I thought that was interesting when he said, yeah, I think we're probably going to end up needing a continuing resolution to keep the government humming while we debate these uh, spending bills. Now, two have already been passed. One for defense. and I can't remember the other of the 12. It's sitting in the Senate. They They won't pass it. Maybe an energy sort of bill. They won't pass it. Just sitting on it. And that's, I think that, very plainly illustrates something we've talked about many times on the program is you can pass all you want in the House with the Republican-controlled House, but most of it's DOA in the Senate. And it's definitely DOA in the White House. So the best we can do, in my view, not, I shouldn't say the best, but uh, the, the most notable aspect, the most valuable aspect of having control of the House is blocking bad legislation, If Democrats had the trifecta, we've already seen that. It's devastating. It is responsible, I believe, for at least half of the inflation that we have experienced since Joe Biden took office. Um, That, I think, stems from bad legislation, starting with the American Rescue Plan. Let's see... um, So our listener from Romy and Tupelo says he's lost respect for both of us because of our having fun with uh, voices and language. Gee, I guess some folks are just really thin-skinned in that respect. I'm sorry to hear that, Uh, Romy, really am, but good grief. Got to lighten up. Have some fun. That's all we're doing. If you want to have a deep debate about the policy differences and distinctions, I think we've done that, and we'll continue to do that. Just having fun—that's all. No big deal. We're coming right back with the final segment on midday Super Talk Outdoors at twelve oh five. Stay with us.
0: Are we going to do this midday's with Gerard Gibbert?
1: quintessential 80s rock there, the flock of seagulls. They had the do's, the hair,
3: remember? Be careful. You're going to offend some flock of seagulls. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) No, I like... (laughs) We are back.
3: You want to find a reason for the hole in the ozone layer? Probably the aquanet that went into those hairdos.
1: (laughs) It was pretty stiff even when they were hopping around. (laughs) Jerking their heads around it just stayed, right? (laughs) Oh, on the ceasefire text line, as for making fun of someone, ask Dana Carney if it wouldn't be prudent. He was so great doing not gonna do not it. Gonna do it. <laughs> he would put his fingers up, remember? Carvey, one of the best. Yeah, we were reminded of uh, Frank Caliendo, who is unbelievable. His impression of John Madden, I would say, put him on the map. Is he so good at that? I've always Specifically, been Specifically, John
3: Madden trying to sell the popcorn popper. <laughs> yeah. The the fake commercial for the Orville Redenbacher popcorn popper, and the voice of John Madden, <laughs> where he
1: can't get the package open, <laughs> is hilarious. Oh, my gosh. It's for making uh, fun of someone, oh no, we already got that. And somebody else said, yeah, was it not said that imitation is the greatest form of flattery? I believe that was uh, a famous saying. And uh, on the break, I was thinking about Rich Little, who was fantastic, of course, and uh, did a great Ronald Reagan, and did it a lot when Mr. Reagan was uh, president. And I think actually did it live in the White House for Mr. Reagan, if I'm not mistaken. And I think Dana Carvey did Bush as well. He was probably the best at doing Bush. One of those guys was really good with Clinton. Um, and that, a lot of that came, as you guys know, from Saturday Night Live. Certainly, Daryl Hammond. That Dar- did That's right, Daryl ha- Hammond from Saturday Night Live. I mean, those just are cracked me up. I, why are people getting bent out of shape about that? Just having fun. That's it. You know, I I wouldn't. I don't think we're influencing anybody's votes because we happen to to uh, do a little voice. No big deal. Good grief. Have some fun. You gotta have fun in life, and you know what you you gotta you gotta be a little self deprecating as well. And like I said, in my business experience, whenever the staff would imitate me and skit in front of three hundred something people. I'd laugh my tail off at it. It was hilarious. You know what? It actually helped make the points I was trying to make because it was done in a humorous way, which means they were listening, which was uh, also nice to hear and understand. Wow. R.C. knows he had that flock of seagull <laughs> hair in the 80s, says Dale. Rich Little also did Richard Nixon. Boy, he sure did. and Wasn't it great come out with the Peace signs and shake the jowls. <laughs> that was great. I am not a crook. Remember that? Oh, gosh. Dana also did, yeah, a great Ross Perot. He sure did. You're right about that. Uh, gosh, political figures are, of course, always great subjects because we see them so much. And they have such distinctive personalities and accents and voices and quips and refrains. That's, that's, why, they, that's why they're the subject man i would I would submit it probably helps them Good grief let's see uh so Thomas says um well, then, since the Senate is sitting on the defense bill and the other bill that uh and I can't remember which one it is it's two of the twelve, they're sitting on that, already passed the house then they should be responsible for any shutdown. Well, first, Thomas, we're not going to get a shutdown. I've already heard the Speaker say, nope, we're going to pass a continuing resolution to avoid that. He's not a fan of shutdowns. Second, the people decide who gets hung whenever there's anything, honestly, that comes out of government, including a government shutdown. It's not like there's some arbiter that says, okay, this one's on the Senate. It's not how it works. Let's see here. Uh don't forget Rush Limbaugh doing Henry Kissinger, says Gary. <laughs> he sure did. Limbaugh was great. Used to do, he used to do Clinton as well. And he and he had professionals as well, you remember, that would record little um little pieces that he play on the show. Because it's all about having fun and entertaining a little bit. And we we hope we're able to do that for you while we also sort of break away with uh some of the heady kind of political issues that we deal with and public policy issues and lots of other things going on. Unfortunately, we're out of time here today because it is a Monday, but we are back in the Element Well studio for you again tomorrow, here all week until Friday. I'm headed up to Starkville for the Greater Starkville Partnership. Looking forward to that remote, as always. Folks, uh, until then, stay safe and God bless.
0: So good!